0: Hello, everyone. I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 1, starting from verse 1, 17. So find that in your Bibles. Okay, let's hear from God's Word. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son who, as to his early life, was a descendant of David and who, through the spirit of holiness, was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among the gentiles who are called to belong to jesus christ to all in rome who are loved by god and called to be his holy people grace and peace to you from god our father and from the lord jesus christ first i thank my god through jesus christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world god who i serve in spirit is preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly i remember you in my prayers at all times and i pray that now at last by god's will and the way may be opened for me to come to you i long to see you so that i may impart to you some spiritual gifts to make you strong that is that you and i may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but I have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I may have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to the Greek and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteousness will live by faith.
1: Good morning, everyone. The theme for today is short. Um, actually, my brother-in-law was saying they've got uh, the, the minister's on long service leave, and while he's away, there's someone else preaching, and he's got actions for you to remember the sermon outlined by. So, if you look through the passage that was just read, you've got, um, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God. But what's what's an action for determined determination? There you go. There's your three actions. I'll, I'll tell Ross that Anyway, how about we pray as we look at this part of the Bible? Heavenly Father, we just ask that as we look at this part of Romans now, um, Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Please humble us. Please transform and, re- and renew us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In um, the passage we're looking at, what we do see today is the Apostle Paul's determination. He's hammering away at the work of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And he is absolutely determined to keep at it. Nothing's going to um, make him lose his focus. It's a little bit like the 35 to 39 kilometer mark in his life. If you think in terms of a marathon, yeah, the, 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 the enthusiasm of the beginning, it's long gone. The relief of the end, it feels a long way away. But he's determined he can do it. He'll keep pressing away at sharing the gospel. I think you see it if you look in verses 9 to 10. He says there, God whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way will be opened for me to come to you. You can see his determination, not just to keep spreading the gospel, but his determination to get to Rome. He um, talks about God opening the way for him so that he will finally get there. If you mix around um, Christian circles, it doesn't take long for you to hear that kind of language of God opening and closing doors. You know, it's the right thing to do because God's opened the door. Or it's the wrong thing to do because God's closed the door. It's a convenient way of not doing the tricky things because God's shut that door. You don't have to do it. What you see here is the Apostle Paul doing the opposite. He's hammering away at the closed door, pleading with God to open it so that he can get to Rome. He's driven by wanting to, to want to see the gospel spread, so much so that he wants to get to, to Rome, the, the capital of everything. And he's banging away on the door, praying that God would open it. Um, as you look at the middle part of today's passage, as you look at verses 10 to 15, you see how dominated he is by the gospel, how keen he is to get to Rome. Um, the gospel is the gospel of Jesus, the good news about Jesus. In verse 14, he says he's obligated to preach the gospel, to bring it to the Gentiles, the people who are non-Jews. He's utterly convinced that that is his task and he'll keep hammering away at the shut door and praying that God will open it so that he can do what he thinks he must do. It's not just in verses 10 to 15 that you see how much he's dominated by the gospel. It's everywhere through, even at the very beginning, back in verse 1, where he says he's a servant or a slave of the gospel. In other words, when you think of Paul, you think gospel of Jesus. He's determined to see this gospel spreading. He, um, he defines himself as someone who's owned by Jesus and by the gospel of Jesus. Um, we're sort of at point one in the sermon outline, sort of. We're thinking about Paul and his gospel, but we'll be jumping around for a little while. We'll come back to verses one to seven in a second. If you look ahead Again, at verse 10, at his prayer, he says, I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way will be open for me to come to you. There he is pushing at that closed door, praying that God would open it, make way for him to be able to get to Rome. He wants to get to Rome and he's not going to give up. He's going to keep trying to get there. Why does he want to get to Rome? Well, he says in verse 12 that he wants to be encouraged, to be encouraged by them and for them to be encouraged by him, this sort of mutual encouragement thing. He says in verse 13, he wants to see a gospel harvest. But I think also as you, like we're starting a series of of sermons in Romans, so you kind of want to hold this whole book together. If you jump to the other end, I think in chapter 15, you see another reason for him to want to get to Rome. If you look at chapter 15, verses 23 and 24, I reckon he wants to get to Rome so that he can use Rome as a springboard to take the gospel further on into Spain, perhaps. He hopes to get to Rome to get their support and encouragement to to take the gospel further. And as you think about that, you start to realize how ambitious he is for the gospel. He's determined. He's full on. He's strategic. He defines himself, verse 1, as being a slave of Jesus and of the gospel, and he's determined to see that gospel reach everyone, everywhere, particularly the Gentiles. If you read on through um, the book of Acts, or back in the book of Acts, rather, if you have a look through Acts, you'll discover that actually he doesn't achieve his plans. Yeah, he does make it to Rome, but only as a prisoner. Things don't go according to his plan, but he remains someone who's owned by the gospel. And even as a prisoner in Rome, he proclaims the gospel, even in chains. Um, when you think about this man, Paul, and the gospel that he, he preached, you only have to have a look at the the, the New Testament and see how much he did. So. In the front of your Bible, you should have, usually you'll have two contents pages. One will be the books of the Bible in alphabetical order, and the second contents will be the books of the Bible in the order in which they are in the Bible. And if you look at the contents of the beginning of your Bible, you'll see in the New Testament, as you look through the New Testament, you've got four Gospels, um, the Gospels being written by various people, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're like sort of persuasive texts um, presenting the life of Jesus in an evangelistic kind of way. Then you've got Acts. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts. Acts is the sequel to Luke. And then you've got Romans, where we are, written by the Apostle Paul. Next, you've got 1 and 2 Corinthians, again, written by the Apostle Paul, written to that complex church in Corinth. Um, You start to appreciate how much of Paul's ministry life got caught up with dealing with the Corinthians. Then you turn to Galatians, again, written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Galatia. Then you have Ephesians written by the Apostle Paul to the church. You you get the the gist, don't you? You keep looking through the contents of the New Testament. Philippians, again, written by the Apostle Paul to the church in in Philippi. Then you've got Colossians written by Paul to the Colossians who he may not have ever actually met at that point. Then one and two Thessalonians written to the church of Thessalonica. And then you've got 1 and 2 Timothy, again written by Paul, writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, encouraging him in his ministry. Then you've got Titus, kind of similar to 1 and 2 Timothy. Then you've got Philemon. You look across the New Testament and you realize how much the Apostle Paul did and how much he wrote. He wrote lots of letters, writing to their original context, bringing God's word to bear on that original context in such a way that he spoke in a way that was inspired by God and in a manner which we still treat this as God's word. In his letters, he defends his ministry, his motives, his character. He corrects, he rebukes, he encourages. And Romans that we're looking at over the next few weeks, Romans stands out as like sort of a summary of what he believes and teaches, like an exposition of the gospel that he preaches. It's Paul's account of how sinful people can be declared righteous in God's eyes. Um, this letter to the Romans declares how Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, um, fulfills the Old Testament expectations of a Messiah that would come, making it possible for sinners to be declared righteous by faith in Jesus. And so Romans, it's like Paul's explanation of his gospel, that he's preaching, that he wants to take to Rome, that he wants to see go on from Rome so that many, many, many more Gentiles will come to know God. And as um, Paul opens his letter, you can see all this in verses 1 to 7. You can see it all behind these verses. Um, I'm going to reread those verses slowly and kind of do the dictionary thing along the way. So if you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, he opens with Paul, a servant, or you might prefer a slave, of Christ, Jesus. Christ being um, Jesus' title, Messiah or King or Anointed One. Um, It's not his name. So Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, a slave of King Jesus, called to be an apostle. An apostle is one who's sent. They speak on behalf of someone else. Um, A slave of Christ Jesus, King Jesus, uh, set apart for the gospel or the good news. Um, Paul then connects this gospel in with the Jewish or Old Testament expectations in verse 2. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets, In the Holy Scriptures He'll go on through through Romans You'll have constant references back to the Old Testament As he connects the New Testament gospel Into the Old Testament expectations So much so that when you look at verse 17 Of today's passage He's quoting an Old Testament book He's quoting Habakkuk And some people will argue that The whole of Romans is this unpacking of that quote From Habakkuk Um, The righteous will be saved by faith So verse 2, he starts explaining the gospel. Um, The explanation continues into verse 3. So verse 2, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, God's son, who as to his earthly nature was a descendant of David. You've got Jesus' humanity. He is a human, yet he's the son of God. And it comes back around to his divinity, but also his title as Messiah in verse 4. And who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. It's like Jesus is, again, the son of God, but also the Messiah, everything that comes with that. And it says, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Any place you see Lord in the New Testament, you can almost put in Jesus, but it's also the word for king or sovereign or one who rules. Um, Verse 5, through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles, Gentiles being the nations, the non-Jews, Call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. I kind of think that verse is better in the ESV, the obedience of faith. It's this idea that um, putting your trust in Jesus, putting your faith in Jesus is an act of obedience. It's doing what God wants us to do. And then verse six, and you also are among those who are called to belong to Christ. This call language. He's called to be an apostle. They're called to belong to Christ. And it continues in verse seven. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people or his saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a massive way to introduce a letter to a church, isn't it? It's loaded. It's full. You can see behind it his determination to get this gospel out. You can see his understanding of the gospel. Paul is a man who was dominated by the gospel. You think, Paul? You think, Gospel of Jesus. It's just it goes hand in hand, a bit like, you know, Michael Jordan, you think basketball. Basketball, you think Michael Jordan. It's it's that sort of connection. He's so dominated by it. He's consumed by the gospel of and the message of Jesus. When you think of Paul, you think of the gospel of Jesus. And when you think of Paul, you think of what he gave up for the Gospel of Jesus. You think of how his life changed. Um if you go reading through the book of Acts, Luke's account there. You see that Paul was Saul. He was a Pharisee. He was, you know, top-notch, top-quality Jew. Um, But after he was converted, he became known as a Christian, a follower of Christ, someone who gave up his rights for a king who died on a cross. There was much, so much about Saul that... Changed when he became a follower of Jesus and a proclaimer of the gospel, that it would be possible that he may have been ashamed to be following a crucified king. Um, When you look through 1 Corinthians, he talks about Jews looking for miracles, Greeks looking for wisdom, but he himself preaching Christ crucified. Foolishness. There's every reason why Paul might have felt a little bit ashamed as he tried proclaiming the gospel of Jesus but he doesn't because he knows it's the power of God. And that's where the passage will end. If you look at the other end, if you look at verses 15 to 17, verse 15 goes, that is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. There's many things that may make you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, but you shouldn't be. Verse um, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First for the Jew, Then for the Gentile that's introducing this first for the Jew, Gentile theme, that'll come up later in Romans. We'll save it for another day. Hopefully it'll be one of the sermons that Steve Young has to get. But for now, the point is the gospel is the power of God. Verse 17, for in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as is written in Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. When you think about that last verse there, verse 17, how is God's righteousness revealed? How's God's righteousness revealed? It's um, another sort of dictionary moment, isn't it? If uh, you could translate righteousness as justice. I've heard it said, this idea of um, being righteous, being, being straight down the line. Erring left or right, God is righteous he 's just he 's straight down the line. We see god 's righteousness in the way that He treats his creatures. He doesn't trick us, doesn't deceive us, He plays it straight he's righteous in the way that he treats us um, god's not underhanded he 's just um, god 's law god 's commands they 're righteous they 're straight, they're just. Um, for us, if you think about what it means for us to be righteous, I think for us to be righteous means to be consistent with the way God's made us and the context in which He's put us, to be living in a way that is appropriate. But the thing is, um, and this gets into next week's passage as well, we as humans, we naturally suppress the truth about God. We behave in a way that is not just, that is not righteous. We twist and distort God's righteousness. Um, We don't behave in a way that's consistent with the way God's made us and the context in which he's put us. And so it's an entirely appropriate and fitting and proper thing for God to be angry at us. It's just and it's righteous for God to be angry at us. And that's next week's passage when you look at the second half of chapter 8. Look again at verse 17 with all these ideas of righteousness there. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness... That is, by faith, from first to last, it's completely by faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. How's God's righteousness revealed? It could be that God's righteous character, his just character, is shown in the gospel. So in the gospel, you see God's justness. It could be that God's laws or his expectations of us are declared righteous in the gospel. So as you proclaim the gospel, you're declaring God's standards to be right and just. It could be that God's judgment um, is revealed in the gospel, God's righteous judgment. Or it could be that in the gospel, God reveals the way that he can declare sinful people to be righteous. I reckon it's all those ideas, but the emphasis being on the last little bit there. In the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed that is by faith, a way that God can declare unrighteous people, sinful people, to be right and clean through Jesus' death in our place. Um, God declares sinners to be righteous, and in doing so, judges sin, maintains his justice, demonstrates his righteousness. All that happens in the gospel of Jesus. If you look ahead in Romans, you'll come to chapter 3, verses 25 to 26, after three chapters of showing how sinful humans are, in chapter 3, verses 25 to 26, um, or actually back in verse 21, 321, there's the but God has revealed a way to be righteous. And then verse 25 goes, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness or his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just or righteous. You can switch these words around. And the one who makes Uh, The one who justifies or makes righteous those who have faith in Jesus. It's in the death of Jesus that God has a way of declaring sinful people to be righteous and that God can do that while playing a straight hand, while being righteous himself. I know there's lots of words and ideas as you come through Romans, but it's okay, you can relax because we keep coming around these things. So after after a few weeks, you'll get the hang of it. In these opening verses, though, we meet Paul and his, his gospel. He's a slave to Christ and to his gospel. This gospel, it's the power of God that changes people's lives. And in the bit of the passage we've skipped over, you'll see how much it's changed Paul's life and how much it's changed the life of the, the, the Christians in Rome. So if you look at um, the middle part of the passage from verse 8, we've seen already, well, I've, I've talked about how God's turned Paul's life around. God declared Paul to be righteous when he didn't deserve it. Um, and that um, God at work in him has transformed Paul so that now he's gone from being a Jew to being a follower of Christ who's determined to see Gentiles come to know Christ, to know forgiveness and to know new life. As you look at verses 8 to 15, you see this transformed man praying for Gentiles that they too would be transformed. So if you look at verse 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. So it's not just Paul who's known as a Christian or a follower of Christ. So are these people in Rome. In Rome, They're known around the world as people who follow Jesus. Um, the change that's come about in the Roman Christians, it's reported everywhere. They now live with Jesus as their Lord. Um, when we think about this part of the Bible, we may uh, want to compare ourselves against Paul, but that'll be fairly daunting. I reckon we're better off looking at these Roman Christians and thinking about our life in that context. We too should be known as Christians by our behaviour, by what we do. So if you do happen to be an engineer, you ought to be a Christian engineer. If perhaps you're a teacher, a Christian teacher. If you're a plumber, a Christian plumber. If you're a parent, a Christian parent. If you're a child, a Christian parent. When people think of who we are, they ought to think of us as a Christian, whatever it is we are. Christians are people who we've experienced the power of God and God is transforming and renewing and changing us so that others can see that difference. Our sin and our guilt's taken away. Our troubled conscience is clear. Um, We who were once God's enemies are now friends with God. And that's an amazing miracle that ought to show in the way that we live. It may appear as foolishness to the world, but we know that it is the power of God. And so as you think about this introduction to um, the Apostle Paul and his gospel, I suppose that's where it hits home for us is have you experienced God's power? If you look at verse 17, have you experienced God's power? Do people around you know that you belong to Jesus, that you live as a slave of Jesus, that you're consumed by the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And do you know the freedom that comes with knowing that although we don't deserve it, we are declared righteous through Jesus' death in our place? Do you understand the gospel and have your faith in Jesus like that? Um, Over the next few weeks, we'll get to cycle through this stuff that you've just had been dumped on you in the first part of chapter one. But how about you pray with me um, that we would grow and be transformed as we continue to look at Romans. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your righteousness and your justice. We praise you for making it possible for those, for all of us who are unrighteous to be declared righteous through Jesus. Lord, please keep growing our appreciation of your gospel as we consider the Apostle Paul's explanation of it in this letter to the Romans. Lord, please keep transforming and renewing our hearts, we pray. Lord, we also pray that as people who understand the gospel. We pray that we would be pushing on the closed doors, wanting to see the gospel spread. Lord, please keep us motivated, living for you and declaring your gospel. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.